Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we are going to be talking about creating the high-performance workplace which we look forward to. Uh, Lou, you found the authors of a book that's been written on this subject, and they have joined us today. Uh, Bob Dustin, if I have the name pronounced correctly, and Sue Bingham. Uh, Sue is the founder of HPWP Group, and Bob is a partner, and they have authored the book, Creating the High Performance Workplace. It's not complicated to develop a culture of commitment. Lou, I'm sure you are anxious to hear what they have to say. Yeah, actually, I am because uh, I'm only doing this 50 years and I'm still trying to get it down right. So uh, uh, <laughs> I did have a pre-show conversation with Bob and Sue, and uh, I'm actually trying to do some implementation of some of the things that they uh, uh, have suggested. Uh, but we're having problems with our communication network here, so I think we're good to go with the show. But um, Let's take it away from there. Yeah, we'll stumble forward. Well, let me speak with Sue Bingham first. Sue, there's all kinds of very interesting um, topics we could delve into here. I know that in the manufacturing industry that Lou and I serve by this show and getting information out to them, that one of their difficulties is turnover. Another one of their difficulties is having employees engaged in what they're doing rather than just showing up for work. So, Sue, let me have you share with our audience the genesis of the book, Creating the High Performance Workplace. Oh, the genesis. Um, It really started many years ago, 30 years ago, I'd say, when um, there was a very large construction company that had manufacturing plants all over the country, and many of them were union, and they... Um, recognized that the union was a result of, um, you know, the the management and the employees not being in sync. And so what they wanted to do is find out what were the best management practices. And this was 35 years ago, so there's no Internet. There's, there's no way to just Google it. So they had to, you know, go by reputation and research and go visit these companies. And they came back and created a, um, sort of a bucket list of of the eight elements that they thought comprised the most effective places to work. And they implemented that in a startup plant that within two months was outperforming the older plants. And that's while employees were still on a training curve. So it was it was my first exposure to it was when I was working in a very large aerospace company. And um it was a, a union facility, um, but there were about 3,500 people there. And I had the um, joyous role of being an employee relations uh, <laughs> manager. And I was stuck with uh, not only the contract, but a lot of really um, stupid, I'm going to say, policies that that were geared to direct the behavior of the workforce and right. i found them insulting and found that you know i i really struggled back then we had of course a discipline system and 
um, management sent people to be disciplined to my office. And many times at that time, they were maybe my parents' age. I was very uncomfortable with that. So and and they there were things that I was exposed to like um, in manufacturing uh, some of the senior leaders would walk the walk the floor. This was a huge um, campus, and they they'd walk the floor and and they called it the walk of shame because they they'd highlight a supervisor and stop and and then berate him for his numbers in front of his team. So just really awful awful treatment of people. And um, it was there that um, the company then hired this guy. His name was Ken Bingham, um, who ultimately talked about a different way. And we started opening up plants that were um, based on this very different approach. We called it a high-performance approach. And it, um, it, these plants outperformed everything, and the turnover is, is next to nothing. And usually there's a line of people waiting to get in and work at a company like that. Yeah, no doubt. So no doubt. So that's a long, long, I'm sorry to make it so long, but it's nope. covering 35 years. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all right. Bob is a co-author of Creating the High Performance Workplace. I'm, I'm fascinated with something that uh, the one of the winningest coaches in football, professional football, did, and that's Vince Lombardi. And he started out every new season with all of the football players in the room, particularly the the rookies. And he walked in with an object, which he held out straight at arm's length. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. So, Bob, how do you get leaders back to basics so that they're on the same page as their employees? Yeah, and it can be kind of tough. We we always refer to um... – what we call the traditional workplace and, and how, how leaders traditionally have led. And, and I'm sure uh, in, in a lot of ways, Vince Lombardi had some great high-performance qualities, and I'm sure he also had some very uh, traditional qualities that I probably wouldn't advocate in the workplace. <laughs> but I, I, I think a lot of times um, leaders, you know, we say on the cover of the book, it's not complicated, and I think that's what Vince Lombardi was saying there. This isn't complicated there's a great line similar in in the baseball movie bull durham where he says you throw the ball you catch the ball you hit the ball i mean it's pretty simple but it's hard (laughs) for people it's hard for people to implement we know what we should do we just leaders have have a tough time getting out of their own way because of, of of past experience and the baggage and 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 doing what they think works uh, it's just hard for them to get out of the way and see it in that simple way that if we just did, you know, in in, in a high-performance workplace, Sue had mentioned, we, we have eight elements that we believe create a high-performance workplace. And if you do those, you'll see turnover go down. You'll see, you'll see um, a long line of people who want to come work there. You'll see productivity go up. But it is, it, you know, the old saying, if it was easy, everyone would do it. So it's it's not complicated, but it's not always easy for people. So uh, let's get to the uh, point of the story, and that is uh, how about telling our audience what the eight steps are to unlocking high performance? Well, I could take four and Bob could take four. Sure. Um, <laughs> 
the the first one is positive assumptions about people, and that's sort of the the foundation for the philosophy. If you think about it, everybody's had experience with the bad employees, the bad apples. They're out there, but they're they're a minority. And yet we've geared all of our practices and management practices and so on around trying to catch that, that bad apple. We refer to them as a five percenter, trying, trying to catch that guy. But we, we also really minimize showing the respect and value we have for the other 95%. So mm-hmm. we've, as leaders, we've created an organization that's really based on negative assumptions about people and and really that's geared towards just a small amount. So one of the things we do is say if you have positive assumptions about people, that drives your behavior. You know, if you think people want to succeed, well, you don't micromanage them. You don't lock things up if you think they're honest. There's all kinds of things you do. And we say you should be focused on the 95% and have positive assumptions about those folks. So that's the first one. That's a foundation. And then it's followed by mutual trust and respect, which are really nice words, um, but pretty meaningless if if your systems, your actions, and behaviors don't support them. So there are, you know, very clear things that, that a leader can do to to develop trust and and respect within a, a work team. It's it's oftentimes a matter of training and I guess I should say right here one of the things that's so hard is that you know the person that gets promoted in manufacturing to a leadership job is usually the best you know the most reliable responsible you know technical person there and then they they may or may not ever want to do leadership kinds of actions and then on top of that we don't train them and then we don't train them Um, so we just throw them out there and hope they can swim so mutual trust and respect is, is something that can be developed, um, and um, good people can, can clearly do that and probably do some of it naturally. Um, that's followed by open two-way adult-to-adult communication, and we really focus on the adult-to-adult piece of that because especially in manufacturing, um, you can find, unfortunately, all kinds of parent-child communication. And so there's no wonder there's an us and them between management and the workforce. So, you know, an adult to adult communication drives um, mutual trust and respect. And then the fourth one of that is, well, they don't necessarily come in order, but the, the next one is employee engagement and empowerment. Um, which we all know what that means, and it's it's certainly achievable, but you have to have a mindset and a belief that people are capable of doing a lot more than we give them credit for. So those are my four. Hey, um, Bob, yeah, what are the next four? Sure. Um, just to follow, and so Sue covered positive assumptions and mutual trust, open two-way communication, and, and involving our employees, uh, and, and those all are – are really, I mean, in, in their own way, they're all foundational, but those really set the tone. Uh, one of them that a lot of, I think, leaders don't really think about uh, is the identification and elimination of what we call negatives in the workplace. And things that are negatives in workplaces are not just things people don't like about the workplace necessarily, but things that uh, 
not maximize the value that a person feels in that company or in that organization. And Sue mentioned uh, earlier in positive assumptions, if we don't have positive assumptions, we, we lock things up in the workplace. And, and so when we have uh, storage cabinets and company giveaway items and paper and pencils and, and tools, whatever it is, when we have that stuff locked up, we're saying that we believe that if we don't, somebody that works for us, that's part of our, our team, our group, our family, somebody that works for us might take something. And so we start locking things up instead of telling people this is for company use and we, we, we're sure everybody can, can abide by that. Uh, so we just lock things up and that sends the message to everyone that we really don't trust anyone or at least there are certain people we may not trust. So we eliminate those negatives. They show up in other ways too with um, time clocks. Certain people have to punch time clocks, certain people don't. And time clocks were started because you don't trust that somebody's gonna put down their correct time that they worked, that they were actually there. Uh, another one is uh, crazy policies and procedures and rules uh, that we have in the workplace. Uh, rules are mostly created for a, a pretty small percentage of the workforce. And when we implement uh, those kind of thick policy manuals and rule books, again, like with, with locking things up, we're saying that we expect that there are people that are gonna break these rules, so here's the punishment or the consequences if you do. And, and again, it's a very, very small percentage of the workforce, and yet we put these rules out there for everybody when the majority of the workforce would never think about breaking any of those rules. So we identify and eliminate those negatives to create more value that people have in the workplace. Another one is, um, is training. Uh, we, we feel that there's generally uh, a lack of really impactful training in, in work environments. Uh, and we have a training model that we use that, that can enhance and increase retention. Uh, and, you know, I hear so, I've heard over the years, and, and I spent a lot of my time in construction, and I would hear foremen and superintendents say, I trained this guy five days in a row, and he still can't remember how to do it. And when you look at the training methods, a lot of, a lot of times, people are using training methods that are simply ineffective. So that's a critical element. The seventh one is competitive wages and benefits. And we believe that employees look at, at, at fair, if, if they're being paid uh, fair, uh, it, that that's also competitive. So if we, if we are in the 50, 50th to 60th percentile generally in pay, and that's competitive, people look at that as being paid fair. And if they're working in a great work environment, they're not gonna leave somewhere else for a few dollars more. They'll stay in a great work environment if they're being paid competitively. And then the final one is, is high expectations. And high expectations need to, to permeate through the entire organization and come down from, from leadership through everybody. And high expectations is simply not settling for the status quo. It's setting expectations that aren't, aren't always out of reach, but that stretch people, that expand people's abilities. When we ask most people in, the work, in, in, in leadership workshops, 
they say that 50% or, or less of a person's brain power and potential is used on the job. And, and so we need to set the expectations higher. People that work for our organizations are generally capable of doing far, far more than, than leadership has them get involved in or has them be part of. And, and that goes back to engagement, too. But we've got to set the expectation that we expect you can reach this level. If we set the bar halfway, if that's all we expect, that's where our employees are going to perform to. So those that's a those are the other four elements. Well, let me let me ask you a question from a uh, I think maybe a more practical side because there's there's always human interaction issues. And uh, so you've now gone over the interaction between management and your work staff. Uh, you didn't touch on, and this I know is a issue. Uh, we hear it from uh, many of the people that we have in our audience as well as guests, that there's at times negative interaction between employee to employee. And this is very demeaning. It's very disruptive. How do you deal with the situation where you have two employees who just aren't getting along? They're good workers. They perform well, but they're just not nice to each other. Does this fall (laughs) into your high-performance workplace mantra? Yes, it does. And we would expect we expect everyone to behave as adults. And if if we've got two people who aren't behaving as adults, um, the expectation is clarified for them. Um, you really don't find that kind of scenario in the cultures that are developed through this process. And I'm being serious. There's You won't find the political stuff. You won't find the petty stuff. Um, I'm not saying it's a perfect world, but it is so much better than our traditional cultures and environments um, that it just doesn't happen that often. Um, and, and part of it is because we haven't set the expectation that it's not acceptable. You know, we, we, haven't, we don't need a rule to do that. We're adults. We understand that. Everybody there does. It's simply a matter of treating people like adults and, our expectation, we've, we, in a high-performance workplace, we get rid of all the rules, and there's just one standard of conduct, and that standard of conduct is that everybody's expected to act in the best interest of the company and their fellow team members. And anyone who is not doing that, um, we have an adult-to-adult conversation with. Um, management does, or we expect it to employees to. If a if a if an employee comes to complain about another employee, a, um, a leader most likely will say, once they've listened to it, um, well, what conversations have you had with that person? And how might you resolve it? And we don't expect to act like, we don't expect our leaders to act like parents. We expect them to um, encourage adult behavior. It I don't sounds, know if that answers your question, but it's, well, it's, well, it's, it does. it's very real. It it answers my question, and uh, frankly, the the answer is an obvious one, but it doesn't obviously work well all the time. (laughs) You're so (laughs) So, right. (laughs) 
So I'm looking now for the second step in your methodology. So what do, what do ahead, we do Luke. in a situation where we have adults who aren't acting like adults and it's an ongoing situation? Um, you know, I, I hate to use the word punish, uh, but, you know, we are dealing with adults. You don't punish people. You're supposed to be able to talk to reason, use logic, and behave like adults. It doesn't always work. You've, you've said that really. Yeah, you've said that really well. What we and I'm well, sorry, you. Bob. If you want to answer this, the the um, if if you want to talk about the coaching approach versus discipline, but I want to say as a basic, we don't believe that you discipline adults. Um, it it doesn't make sense. That's punishment doesn't have a place um, when there's behavior that's not acceptable or someone's not doing what they are supposed to do. There's a there's a conversation uh, about it. We we don't use a disciplinary process. We use one that's problem solving in nature and sort of say, well, what in the heck's going on? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Um, tell me more about that. And we listen to whatever it is the person's trying to do, and then whatever response we get from that that person, that employee, that adult. Um, determines the next course of action. If they're if they're cooperative and they say, "Oh, I just lost it. I, you know, I'm, you know, I I shouldn't have done that," or whatever whatever they say. If 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 they take ownership and and are cooperative, then we just say, "Well, how are you going to prevent it from happening again? Or what do you need to do next?" And your own plan, and well, that's the end of the conversation. Well, that sounds like a, a good approach. I guess I'm going to have to stop taking them out behind the barn. Uh, methodology. Um, at least, that, at, that at doesn't least, work either. It's, at least have a conversation with them first. <laughs> yeah. Conversation yeah, just, might be able to work. Just, just have a conversation first. Okay, so I'll, I'll, really, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. What's really, what's really effective is that if they're not cooperative, you know, if they're saying, if they're trying to shift the blame, or they're saying, "Hey, it's not me." Um, if they're if they're dodging any personal accountability um, when they really should have it, um, then what we typically would do with that person is say, you know what, we're we're just not getting anywhere here, and what I want you to do is go home for the rest of the day, and you'll be paid. That's that's not a problem. Pay's not the issue. What we want you to do is decide whether or not this is a job you want, and these are you know, expectations that you can meet. And if you decide that it is, we want you to come back with, with your commitment or whatever it is you plan to do um, to meet those expectations or not. If if this isn't something you want to do, your choice, and, you know, we'll, we'll process your separation from the company. And you know, it's now in the hands of the, of the adult employee. I hear what you're saying. And now I'm going to talk to you about from the manufacturer's side, for example. You know, we have a major skill gap problem. We have a shrinking workforce because fewer are going into manufacturing, number one. And number two, there are many that are either uh, retiring or uh, unfortunately passing away. So the, the problem is that manufacturers are a bit reluctant to uh, 
say, okay, you keep doing that, you're out of here, you're fired. Meanwhile, he's probably already short three, four, five people on his manufacturing team, and he just became a hostage himself by having to threaten someone that if you don't like it, uh, we understand and we cooperate with you. If you want to leave the company, you can. I don't think that's a good solution for either management or the uh, employee. Because this way they both lose. Well, the problem is that if you keep on doing the same thing you've been doing, you'll keep getting the same results. And what we do see in a high-performance culture um, with with very high standards for, you know, adult behavior, that most people, and by the way, most people when this happens, um, the, the, the good people obviously rethink, and, and it's, it's very seldom that we don't see a big turnaround. But it's mm-hmm. their decision to turn around. It's not because the company's ordered it. But they, if... The, the problem is, and we face this, we work with a large transportation company and the crisis is with drivers. And, you know, drivers can go anywhere they want. We can't hire them. Turnover is horrendous. Um, so maybe we'll hold on to a driver that's, you know, as long as they've heard, um, we'll hold on to them regardless of what their behavior is. Well, that's the, their they're stuck with that situation and they do take a little more time in terms of coaching, but ultimately a bad apple is a bad apple and they're going to cost you whether they're in the organization or they're not. So the bottom line is once you get to the end of the line, if it's not working out, you got to do the ultimate dirty deed. That is is to have your employee move on. We really, we, we really think it can be uh, the employee decision. However, if someone's disrespectful, um, I mean really disrespectful, it's, it's likely then the company will make the decision to terminate their employment. But, right. but all the good employees, as you know, in manufacturing are thrilled when management gets rid of somebody that shouldn't be there, that's been dragging them down. And I think, I think we, I, and one of the things we do is we have in a high performance workplace, the manufacturing folks um, are the ones who hire their peers and they have the final decision in hiring their peers and they're, they have much higher standards than sometimes we do because of the (laughs) lack of talent available. They have much higher standards and they you know that kind of spreads, and um, like I said, where where we've done it before uh, in numbers of the companies where this occurs, people uh, are, will leave a job they have if they get an opportunity to go interview at a high performance company because there everybody's all salaried. Um, people are paid for overtime, obviously, if 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 they fall in that category, but they're they're salaried. There's no number of sick days. It's expected you're at work every day um, and on time, but recognize that things happen. And so um, there's, you know, all all absences are paid based on reasonable and necessary. Um, it's just a it's just a much higher honor code, um, trusting workplace, and the people that work there don't leave, and they hire more people like themselves. 
and pretty mm-hmm. soon it's it's unshakable. Interesting, interesting. Um, Bob, and it may be either Bob or Sue who answers this next question. I am really keen on a point that you bring out, and this happens in interviews a lot, and the employee is trying to figure out, the employee is trying to get a job, and the employer is trying to figure out a fit, and the employee is also trying to figure out a fit, but how do employees vet a potential employer? I think that's a fascinating twist. <laughs> well, it I, is. I just and, wrote an article well, on that, but Bob, you can answer it. <laughs> no, go ahead, Sue. You wrote the article on it. I just wrote the article on that. I, I, I was telling them the very first thing somebody ought to do is ask to see what their, what their employee handbook or policy book looks like. Because oh. if it's loaded with lots of things that, that that show we've got a two-class status, and if you're blue-collar, there's one set of benefits, and we've got all these other policies, that that's probably not the workplace that you want to be. Okay, so if the employee handbook says the beatings begin at noon on the front cover, it's probably <laughs> not an employer for you. Well, and if I would, say that, it'll just be disguised in a lot of legalese, a lot of legal language. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I would like to see, uh, Sue, that article, if you'd be so kind to forward it to us. Sure. Shall be happy to. That'd be great. You have our email, I'm sure. Yes. And, and in fact, one of the things that we like to do to help out the manufacturing industry is that anything that you would like to get pushed out to the manufacturing industry that you can forward our way. We can put up on our website. We'll have this podcast posted on a page. We can add to that page. We can push it out to our social media. There are lots of things we can do to help get the word out. Uh, So both you and Bob, if you want to shoot stuff our way, we'd be happy to have it and help you get it out. Sure. That sounds great. That'd be wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think, I think Bob and I can say that our uh, our hearts are with um, the manufacturing environment. That's that's where I've spent the last 25 years, and um, there are so many good people um, working very hard. And I I don't think they get you know the treatment and the credit that they should get and and they're capable of a lot more and my biggest fear when i started particularly in working with with manufacturing was that people punch a time clock and they go home and in the old days you know you sat around the dinner table and you know the only thing the kids are picking up is you know well i got a paycheck today versus being excited about what opportunities there can be and um, and and the opportunity to be creative and innovative, and we need that um, at all levels. So anyway, that's that's our passion is is manufacturing because there's so much opportunity for improvement. <laughs> well, and, and there we is, agree, you, Lou. you know, as as you uh, are very much aware, we do have a uh, issue with regards to workforce. Everything from, you know, as I said earlier, skill gaps and uh, uh, retirees and so on. But yet we have such a huge pool of uh, the people that could be working and could be trained 
uh, i.e., and just the second time in two days I'm bringing up this story, and I don't have the name of the company, so if anyone's interested, I suggest you Google it. There is a company in the Midwest who they only hire ex-convicts, nonviolent ex-convicts, and he has solved his problem in terms of uh, employees, shortages and skill gaps they train their own people and their people are so grateful to have a job where they can earn uh, a living or better than uh, a normal living but you got to toe the line and do the right job so there's there's all kinds of creative ways that people today are looking to solve their employment issues in view of the fact that our employment level is now, what, 3.7, I believe it is. Uh, and there's 700,000 people missing from the manufacturing world. Uh, you got to start thinking out of the box uh, because if you're waiting for the government to help you, you're going to wait a long time. So you got to come up with new strategies. And uh, uh, your book uh, certainly gives insight into uh, how to go about having a uh, peaceful, productive, and uh, thankful uh, workforce. Just to kind of wrap up this segment, Bob, uh, I'm wondering, and again, either you or Sue could answer this, but what do you do now with employers? What You've got the HBWP group. It's certainly more than just a very excellent book that's out there. What are the services of the HBWP group? Yeah, one of the one of our the the primary things that we do, and and one of our signature um, development uh, sessions that we have is a four and a half day high performance leadership workshop. And we, uh, in fact, we have three of them coming up in the next couple of weeks, um, where we have anybody from frontline leaders, brand new emerging leaders, uh, to people who have been in leadership for thirty years. Uh, we have vice presidents, uh, superintendents, everything in between. Um, and, and we go through these eight elements in, in a depth that resonates and has impact on the people that come out of, of that workshop. Uh, in fact, uh, people often describe it as life-changing and, and will say that it has as much or more impact in their personal life as it does in their work life. So the, the things we talk about and the elements we talk about in the book, we, we spend four and a half days um, getting leaders immersed in how to use those elements to make significant change in their work environments and in their personal life. And Sue, so, how, can, how can manufacturers or companies get a hold of the HPWP group and get a copy of your book? Oh, you are so wonderful. Um, well, the book's on Amazon. The book's on Amazon, and our website is hpwpgroup.com, and keeping it simple. And we um, love working with manufacturing and um, have had wonderful relationships where y- you can measure the difference. Um, and then there's also the intangible where people – well, I guess it's not tangible. People don't leave. Um, people stay. Not only that, they recruit others and they they get their friends. So it's even in a tough market, 
talent market and and even as it relates to manufacturing jobs there's there's uh, so many good people out there what you want to do is be able to attract them and it's it's by having the right kind of culture that will attract them so that's that's what we do but we usually start with leadership and um and we have to change you know 30 years of tradition um and traditional thinking and the bureaucracy that's accompanied that um we got to sort of get that all out of there <laughs> that's why it's four and a half days um somebody wants to find <laughs> it as six, 60 hours of common sense and it is it's common sense but it, it it takes a while to get people to where common sense makes sense <laughs> so um you know usually it's a roller coaster ride and by the time they get to the end they are highly motivated to um change the way in which they're working with their teams I know about 435 people in Washington, D.C. that could probably use a copy of this book. Could they not? <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things we teach, is a, we teach a win-win model because that's how you have trust. And wouldn't it be wonderful if, if actually two sides could listen to each other and agree on a common goal and then just start trying to find a, a solution? It would be so nice. <laughs> yes, uh, our, our our fear is that if you gave them the book, you would see them throwing it at each other, <laughs> telling the other side, you should read yeah. this. <laughs> That's yeah. right. You should read this. Yeah. They give it to each other as a gift. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make sure that uh, when the show is uh, posted up on uh, the website that we will have a, uh Amazon link to your book creating the high-performance workplace, and you can send our usual commission to the usual place. <laughs> Only kidding, sure. though, we don't take any money. We don't believe in it. Uh, Tim? Well, Bob, Sue, we certainly appreciate you joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio, and, and I love hearing the eight steps to unlocking high-performance I think they're just all right on, and I encourage everybody to get a hold of a copy of your book and get a hold of each of you to find out what they should be doing next. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you, Thank Tim and Lou. You. Really, so Thank really you. Appreciate what, really appreciate what you two are doing. Thank you. And why don't you give us your uh, web address as the last important point to get across? Sure. It's hpwpgroup.com. Okay, your phones are being flooded as we speak. <laughs> okay. So we have we have had the pleasure of talking with uh, Bob Dustin and Sue Bingham. I hope I pronounced Dustin correctly uh, about their book, Creating the High Performance Workplace, and all of the information that they have here. We'll go into our library on manufacturingtalkradio.com. Uh, you will be able to click through to this show and listen to it and review the information. And anything that they add to their body of work that they want to share with us, we will also post on our webpage so you can find additional information or a link to the book on Amazon. We'll put that up on our webpage. So a lot of information at manufacturingtalkradio.com. And, Lou, it has been a very interesting discussion. How's the book so far? You're a pretty fast reader. I'm a slow reader. so um, I, I have gotten into it. Uh, 
just about enough to have this uh, conversation today. But it uh, looks like I've got my uh, uh, my mission laid out for me over the weekend to continue with this because I see a lot of opportunities here for power company and some of our friendly competitors as well. So I'm uh, thankful for for that. Um, and uh, Tim, let's talk a little bit about our uh, other shows coming up. Uh, this uh, coming week between uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio and WAM, Women and Manufacturing. Uh, We've got now five shows, and we've got several in uh, in development. So we're slowly going out of our minds crazy, and uh, but we're having a a good good time of it, and I know that we are making a difference. We are indeed, Lou, and for those of you who are podcasters who are podcasting in this space, if you would like to have a conversation with Manufacturing Talk Radio about maybe partnering together, please reach out to us. You can always send us an email at info at mfgtalkradio.com where you'll find our entire body of work and library of information. As Lou mentioned, WAM is at womenandmfg.com. That is a a sister uh, podcast that we put together where women share their experiences in moving up the corporate ladder or in ownership of companies that has resulted in some fascinating interviews. We encourage you to go there and stay tuned because we have Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman. Uh, Cliff was an economist with the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation. He was their chief economist. He's frequently around the country at speaking engagements. We also have on the people from the Institute for Supply Management and the uh, chief economist, and uh, he is from the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. So we're talking to all the right people to get you all the right information. So again, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.